Welcome, Bill Federer here. In this episode of How We Got Here, we're going to look at the four voyages of Christopher Columbus. We begin with the Sultan Mammoth II, who succeeded his father, Murad II, to rule the Muslim Ottoman Empire. He killed his siblings and later stated, whichever of my sons inherits the Sultan's throne, it behooves him to kill his brothers in the interest of the world order. On May 29, 1453, at the age of 21, Mammoth II conquered the Byzantine city of Constantinople, the largest and richest city in Europe. Located on the Bosporus, where the East and West met, it largely served as the capital of Christendom for over a thousand years. Mammoth had stated the Gaza, or Holy War, is our basic duty, as it was in the case of our fathers. The conquest of Constantinople is essential to the future and the safety of the Ottoman state. Constantinople was conquered in 1453, ending the Byzantine Empire and permanently altering trade routes from Europe to Asia, which had been traveled for centuries by merchants such as Marco Polo. Now, those who do not like Columbus need only to turn one chapter back in the history books and realize his voyage west was in response to Sultan Mammoth II blocking the land trade routes east to India and China. Even socialist Howard Zinn wrote in A People's History of the United States, 1980, now that the Turks had conquered Constantinople and the Eastern Mediterranean and controlled the land routes to Asia, a sea route was needed. Portuguese sailors were working their way around the southern tip of Africa. Spain decided to gamble on a long sail across an unknown ocean. William Lawson Grant, professor of colonial history at Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario, wrote in Voyages and Explorations, 1911, the history of Western civilization begins in a conflict with the Orient, a conflict which it may be the end is not yet. The routes between East and West have been trodden by the caravans of trade more often even than by the feet of armies. The treasures of the East were long brought overland to Alexandria or Constantinople or the cities of the Levant, and thence distributed to Europe by the galleys of Genoa or of Venice. But when the Turk placed himself astride the Bosporus and made Egypt his feudatory, new routes had to be found. Grant continued, in the search for these were made the three greatest voyages in history, those of Columbus, Vasco da Gama, and Magellan. In his search for Sipangu, Japan, Columbus stumbled upon America. The great Genoese Columbus lived and died under the illusion that he had reached the outmost verge of Asia. In 1498, Portuguese explorer Vasco da Gama successfully sailed around South Africa to India, but six years earlier, Columbus proposed another westward sea route. Beginning in 1492, Columbus took four voyages to the New World. The first, 1492 to 93, he discovered land. The second, 1493 to 96, he encountered a hurricane, malaria, and cannibals. The third, 1498 to 1500, he faced doldrums, rebellion, and was arrested. And his fourth, 1502 to 04, he survived another hurricane, explored Panama, and was shipwrecked on Jamaica for a year. So let's begin with the first, 1492 to 93, it was truly historic. Columbus used his knowledge of trade winds to make the longest voyage ever out of the sight of land. Thinking he had made it to India, he referred to the inhabitants as Indians. 
Well, the first inhabitants he met were peaceful Arawak natives. Columbus thought that Cuba was the tip of China and Hispanola, which is today Dominican Republic and Haiti, was Japan. Returning to Europe, Columbus's ship, the Santa Maria, hit a reef off the coast of Hispanola and was wrecked on December 24, 1492. He left 39 sailors in a makeshift fort named La Navidad. Well, then his second voyage, 1493 to 96, he was frustratingly saddled with 17 ships, 1,500 mostly get-rich-quick Spaniards. And this was the doings of the jealous Spanish bishop, Juan Rodriguez de Fonseca, who continually undermined Columbus at the royal court. Fonseca thought it was a mistake that the Spanish monarchs, Ferdinand and Isabella, gave so much authority to a non-Spaniard, Columbus being just a low-class Genoese from the rival Italian city-state of Genoa. In this sense, Columbus was himself a victim of racial discrimination. Bishop Fonseca is to be blamed for altering Columbus's goal from finding India and China to managing hundreds of ambitious sailors. Columbus was a gifted explorer, but unfortunately failed as a governor. Looking for a location for a settlement, Columbus explored Puerto Rico and Jamaica. Arriving at La Navidad, Hispanola, they were shocked to find that the sailors Columbus had left the previous year were all killed by the natives. Reality set in. Instead of finding paradise, the Spaniards were shocked to discover the existence of the Carib natives. And they were aggressive and would eat and cannibalize the Arawak. And this was a shock to the Spaniards. Well, they settled uh, La Isabella on Hispanola, but it was destroyed in a hurricane. A storm of unbelievable intensity that none had experienced before. They abandoned La Isabella and founded a new settlement, Santo Domingo, presumably in honor of Columbus's father, Domenico. After uh, the hurricane and the malaria and the fear of the cannibals, the Spanish settlers began to consider Columbus as having misrepresented the New World, and they grew impatient having to obey Columbus, who after all was not even a Spaniard. And so they pressured Columbus who yielded to their greedy demands and allowed them to set up a European style feudal system of enslaving the natives. They were plantations called Mayoragzos. This tragically set a precedent for the next several generations of mistreatment of the native populations. Columbus sailed back to Spain, leaving two younger brothers, Bartholomew and Diego, in charge of Santo Domingo. Then his third voyage, 1498 to 1500. Columbus sailed across the Atlantic, but closer to the equator, he encountered the doldrums, where there was no wind for weeks. Parched, windless heat, blazing sun, Columbus prayed that if the winds returned, he would name the first land after the Trinity, thus Trinidad. Well, Columbus set foot and planted a flag on Paria Peninsula of present-day Venezuela, August 1st, 1498, making him the first European to set foot on South America. He explored the beautiful Orinoco River, speculating that it could be the outer regions of the Garden of Eden. Columbus arrived back at the settlement of Santo Domingo, only to find that the greedy Spaniards had rebelled against his brothers, Bartholomew and Diego, 
In despair, Columbus sent a letter to the king pleading for help. The letter was intercepted by Bishop Fonseca, who convinced the king to replace Columbus with another governor. This was Bobadilla. Columbus was arrested by Bobadilla. He and his brothers were sent back to Spain in chains. Columbus wrote to a friend and confidant of the queen, Dona Juana de Torres, I undertook a new voyage to a new world, which hitherto had been hidden. They judged me there as a governor who had gone to Sicily or to a city or town under regular government. I should be judged as a captain who went from Spain to the Indies. Columbus's fourth and last voyage, 1502 to 1504. After a two-year delay, Ferdinand and Isabella finally permitted Columbus to sail May 12, 1502 from Cadiz, Spain on his last voyage. He was forbidden to visit Santa Domingo, but upon reaching the Caribbean, he saw another hurricane forming. And so he weighed the risk, went into the harbor of Santa Domingo, and the new replacement governor, Arvando, ignored Columbus. He was preoccupied in preparing to send ships back to Spain, along with the governor, Bobadillo. Now, this fleet of ships were 30 ships filled with gold and native slaves. Unwittingly, these ships would be heading directly into the hurricane. Columbus's warning was ignored. He was a persona non grata. Arvando ordered Columbus to leave, and he did. Not even taking time to pull his small boat aboard, he sailed as fast as he could to the other side of the island to find shelter from the hurricane, which hit on July 1st, 1502, with such fury that it almost completely destroyed Santo Domingo. Of the treasure fleet, four ships returned to Santo Domingo, 25 sank, including the one with Babadilla, and the one that survived and made it to Spain was the Agua, A-G-U-J-A, and it was old and slow, and it had not yet cleared the island mangroves when the hurricane hit. When the ship arrived in Spain, to everyone's amazement, it was found to be carrying Columbus's portion of the gold per his initial agreement with Ferdinand and Isabella. The providential nature of this incident vindicated Columbus's reputation. Though he did not find out about it for over a year as he was blown around the Caribbean. Describing the violent weather, Columbus recorded, the tempest arose and wearied me so that I knew not where to turn. My old wound opened up. For nine days I was lost without hope of life. Eyes never beheld the sea so angry and covered with foam. He continued, the wind not only prevented our progress, but offered no opportunity to run behind any headland for shelter. Hence, we were forced to keep out in the bloody ocean, seething like a pot on a hot fire. The people were so worn out, they longed for death. After a day and a half of continuous lightning, Columbus's 15-year-old son, Ferdinand, recorded that on December 13, 1502, a waterspout, like a tornado, passed between the ships. The witch, had they not dissolved by reciting the gospel according to St. John, it would have swamped whatever it struck, for it draws water up from the clouds, up to the clouds in a column thicker than a water, but twisting it around like a whirlwind. Columbus's biographer, Samuel Elliott Morrison, described Admiral Columbus. 
It was the admiral who exercised the waterspout. From his Bible, he read of that famous tempest off Capernaum, concluding, Fear not, it is I. Then clasping the Bible in his left hand with a drawn sword, he traced a cross in the sky and a whole circle around his fleet. Columbus explored the coast of Honduras, Nicaragua, Costa Rica. He briefly landed in Panama, but was too ill and too suspicious of the natives to cross the 50-mile-wide isthmus on foot to the Pacific side where he could have seen the real route to India and China. As it was, they were attacked by Indians and barely made it out of the shallow Belen River at low tide with three of his four ships. Another ship was lost in a storm off Cuba. With his last two ships worm-eaten and taking on water, he beached them on the island of Jamaica at St. Anne's Bay, June 25, 1503, marooned for the next year. Natives at first accommodated them, but the situation deteriorated when some sailors began an unruly mutiny. Fearing an attack, Columbus had to act fast. An accomplished explorer, Columbus had been diligent to keep track of the position of the moon and stars in the night sky of the Western Hemisphere, something that had never been observed before. Using astronomic tables made by Rabbi Abraham Zacuto of Spain, Columbus summoned the chiefs of the Indian tribes to his maroon ship on a specific night, February 29, 1504, when he correctly predicted a lunar eclipse. The natives became afraid, and Columbus convinced them that he had divine favor. They abandoned their plans of attacking Columbus and continued to provide food for him and his men. Finally, Columbus's captain, Diego Mendez de Segura, purchased a canoe from the natives and set off with several of them from Jamaica toward Hispanola, Dominican Republic, or Haiti, crossing 450 miles of an open sea in canoes. Arriving there, Mendez found Governor Ovando in the jungle subduing the Arawak natives. Orvando was not thrilled to hear that Columbus was still alive and waited months to send help. Being rescued at last, Columbus returned to Santo Domingo for a final visit and then to Spain, arriving November 7, 1504. Three weeks later, his chief patron, Queen Isabella, died. Columbus died a year and a half later at the age of 55. Though unsuccessful as a governor, Columbus was nevertheless one of the world's most accomplished sailors and explorers, and though he did not reach India or China, he changed history. Back during his fourth and final voyage, when he was in Panama, trapped on the Bellin River at low tide, he was incapacitated with physical pain, and on July 7, 1503, not knowing if anyone would ever read it, he wrote his Latera Rara Isima, and he writes, The Indians were many and united and attacked. I was outside very much alone on this rude coast with a high fever and very fatigued. There was no hope of escape. In this state, I climbed painfully to the highest part of the ship and cried out for help with a fearful voice. At length, groaning with exhaustion, I fell asleep and heard a compassionate voice saying, O fool and slow of heart to believe and serve thy God, the God of every man. From thy birth, he hath ever held thee in special charge of those barriers of the ocean sea, which were closed with such mighty chains 
he has given thee the keys. Turn thou to him and acknowledge thy faults. His mercy is infinite. Thine old age shall not hinder thee from performing mighty deeds. Whatever he promises, he fulfills with interest. That is his way. Well, I hope you have enjoyed the looking at four voyages of Christopher Columbus. God bless. Yeah, I have to say, we do not have to